Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome into the Monday, April the 15th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, we look at the changes that will come from the new coaching staff and preview of the 2018 Albert Wilson charting project. Plus, is an elite franchise quarterback about to shake free in the NFL? And we'll get back into the draft with the top storylines for Miami in this 2019 draft. And we'll look at the prospect of the day. All of that and much more. But first, before any of it, I kindly invite each and every one of you to please subscribe to the podcast on the new Himalaya podcast app, the Apple podcast app, Stitcher, Tuned In, Google Play, wherever you get your podcast from. Go ahead and subscribe, rate, and review. Give me a follow on Twitter at NFL. Follow the show at LockedOnFins. You guys can find my written work, including the soon-to-be-debuted Albert Wilson charting project, up on LockedOnDolphins.com, as well as the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts like the Locked On Heat podcast and Locked On NFL podcast for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. You guys know the drill. We got a busy show. We always do. Let's go ahead and jump right in. That's another Miami Dolphins. Is Russell Wilson about to shake free from the Seattle Seahawks? I don't believe it'll happen, but there are reports saying that he might. And it comes from Roto World via a source, which is strange. The Honey Badger, Tyron Matthews, says that Russell Wilson might want to play elsewhere. And that's kind of the feelings the Seahawks are getting during these contract negotiations. That Russell might wind up taking this Kirk Cousins route where you play two years on the franchise tag. Wilson's deal expires after 2019. So this would put him available in 2022, which is a ways off, I'm very well aware. But if he does that and plays the franchise tag, he can then finally cash out somewhere else besides Seattle. And that would put the Seahawks in quite a bind because you definitely don't want to follow the Washington model for doing anything, frankly, let alone letting your franchise quarterback walk away. And yes, Kirk Cousins is a franchise quarterback. He's not an elite top 10 quarterback, but he is a franchise quarterback. Wilson, on the other hand, is those things. An elite quarterback, a franchise quarterback, the fourth best quarterback in football for my money, and I've talked about it at length. He can mitigate the horrendous offensive line play the Seahawks have had basically forever. He's money on third down. His deep ball is pristine, the best in the NFL. In the last two minutes of the game, he is absolutely impossible to stop. A total gamer, a total leader, a total everything at the position. Now the cost, that would be the hangup. If the Hawks wanted to move him right now, I don't see how the Giants wouldn't be the frontrunners to make that deal happen. They have the 6th pick, the 17th pick, and maybe it costs them next year's one. Maybe it's just another 2nd or 3rd rounder this year or next year. That would probably get the job done for the Giants, and Miami simply, because of the lack of two first round picks this year, they just can't compete with that. But they should definitely try. He's out there and available. Make the call, see what it takes to get him, and basically, I'm willing to give up whatever it takes. We can talk about how weak the offensive line and defensive line are on this team, and we will in the second segment here on the Lockdown Dolphins podcast part of the Lockdown Podcast Network. But that's nothing that Russell Wilson hasn't been a part of in the Seattle past with their putrid offenses that he's been asked to carry every single year. With Wilson, this team right now is a playoff team in 2019. 
with Wilson and a very good offseason in 2020, the Dolphins are a championship contender ready to take complete control of the AFC East when Brady eventually hangs it up. I know Wilson is 30 years old and you have to pay him insane amount of money to get him on your football team, but you simply cannot balk at an opportunity to change everything about your franchise because as we know, it's proven time and time again, the quickest, surefire way to turn your team from a perennial, mediocre, quote, in the playoff hunt, end quote, outfit is to plop an elite franchise-level quarterback into your system. That's Russell Wilson and there's no cost too high to go out and do it. I know the entire mantra of this offseason has been to be conservative, push resources to the future, and build through the draft, but there is always going to be one special circumstance that can override that approach, and that is going out and finding a quarterback the caliber of a Russell Wilson. And that's not to mention that I think Wilson is the perfect quarterback for what this new regime wants at the position. A likable locker room presence, though that could probably be debated if you ask some of the former Seahawks players, but you at least know that he prioritizes football over everything and will work his ass off to get you the best possible results he can deliver. He's extremely accurate and perhaps the best running quarterback in the NFL besides Michael Vick of all time. He's exceptional and he even accounted for every touchdown the Seahawks scored passing or running except for I think it was one touchdown back in the 2017 season. The guy is the entire team there in Seattle when it comes to their offensive production. And with that, with the new staff, I want to go ahead and change gears here and talk about something that continues to stand out on the tape. Now, I've got Kevin Dern on tomorrow's show, ready to talk about his defensive preview for the draft, and I'm going to save the defensive schematics for that show, but I want to start here today with the offensive changes, and all of this arises from the project I'm working on with individual players. This one, Albert Wilson. I already wrote and posted the Rayquad McMillan film study a couple weeks ago, and yes, he is the best linebacker on this team, and please do not refute that by telling me that Kiko Alonso had more more tackles because all that really measures is the fact that he played more defensive snaps than anybody else and the opposing offensive coordinators put the rabbit hat on Alonzo and that rabbit hat is the thing that offensive coordinators put on the one guy on the defense you want to pick on and that was normally the case last year number 47 wearing the rabbit hat except for if you go back to week four check out Tory McTire in that game and the Patriots put the rabbit hat on McTire, but I am working on this charting project for every play of Albert Wilson's 2018 season, and the selection started off very intriguing early on as far as utilization of Wilson under Adam Gaze, playing the boundary side with a plus split with a go slash hitch slash back shoulder built-in options, basically working off of the quarterback and receiver's chemistry, depending on the coverage they saw across from him. He would stack in the field side portion of the formation. He'd motion into the backfield for a jet sweep or come get a carry, even run the option. He would take those nasty splits. A nasty split is when you come in tight to the offensive line and run the backside crossing route. He was doing everything for this offense, and he is a very nuanced route runner by the idea that he understands the route combinations that are asked of him and you go back to a video I took from the week one game against Tennessee Titans where they're down around the red zone and the Titans sent a cat blitz in right off of Wilson's edge a cornerback blitz which converts the safety into a man up coverage on Albert Wilson and Wilson finds a way to get inside to free up an entire portion of the field now Tannehill was late to get the backside drag route to Amendola but that video alone you can find it on my Twitter timeline at NFL shows you some of the nuance in his game and how he understands the route combinations and will selflessly run clear out routes to free up things for his teammates. 
And I tweeted about this on Saturday, how Albert Wilson played 55%, 48%, and 23% of the snaps in the first three games last season. I don't understand it. I'll never understand it because he and Jakeem Grant were essentially interchangeable flankers in those games, in the first game at least. And Danny Amendola and even the second tight end at times were given higher priority than Albert Wilson. It was just maddening to watch just as many of the other personnel decisions from the previous staff were maddening. I'm mostly mad at myself for buying into the Adam Gase hype train, but he did come with some high praise and got me pretty much drawn into his entire allure, which turned out to be a big fat nothing. But that is neither here nor there at this point. It's time to get back into some draft talk, and we'll do that next on the other side here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast at Wingfield NFL at Locked On Fins. Recording this podcast on Sunday morning, April the 14th for the Monday version of the Lockdown Dolphins podcast, April the 15th here on the Lockdown Podcast Network. And as I record this podcast, all kinds of stuff going on throughout the sports world. The NHL and NBA playoffs are underway. My Seattle Mariners have lost two straight games to the Houston Astros. I keep telling my wife that this is basically like when the Dolphins were 3-0 and and went up to Foxborough in that week four game and got the smackdown. I just knew the Mariners were going to come into the series against the Astros and probably get swept. And today they have to face Garrett Cole. So I'm sure they're going to lose that game too, three straight after a 13-2 and start to the season. You've got Tiger Woods going for the Masters Championship right now. I don't really care about that because golf is insanely boring to me. I know that's probably hypocritical as a baseball fan, but you get the gist. None of this stuff is football. That's why we love the podcast. That's why it's April 15th, and we're listening to an NFL podcast right now because football just trumps everything. And I want to talk about this article I have up on LockedOnDolphins.com. And a quick reminder on tomorrow's LockedOnDolphins.com feature article, check out Kevin Dern's work talking about the defensive backs in this draft for Miami. He already did the front seven prospects we can look at and get this defense rebuilt and going in the right direction under Brian Flores. But today it's my turn and I take a look at the top storylines heading into the draft weekend for the 2019 Miami Dolphins. And the first thing I talk about in this article is how Daniel Jeremiah, my go-to source for all things draft, on the Move the Sticks podcast, talked about how a lot of teams in today's NFL are taking a more two-year scope a, a, a vision of two years down the road at the draft opposed to looking at it one year at a time. And that to me is a breath of fresh air because we knew, and you go back to Stephen Ross's presser back on Black Monday, talking about how the Dolphins basically viewed the draft and free agency as a way to plug holes on the roster. And that is entirely a Mike Tannenbaum production through and through. I think we saw the best example of that in 2016 when the team deviated from that plan and took Laramie Tunzel despite the fact that Juwan James and Brandon Albert were already there and played him at guard and now have one of the best left tackles in the NFL. That was not a Mike Tannenbaum idea in my opinion. I'm sure he loved the prospect and the player, but that was not a position of need and wouldn't you know it, it was our best draft pick of the last several years. So that's the idea, looking at a multiple year scope and it has a bunch of people excited about the Dolphins' prospects going forward. But again, we have to reiterate that if they don't make these picks work, if they don't find the right guys and the right team to kind of build around this entire foundation, 
none of this is gonna matter. And in three years, we're gonna be right back here again, trying to figure out a new way to rebuild this entire approach. Although maybe in three years would be a good idea if Trevor Lawrence is in tow. But that's neither here nor there. We'll talk about that in a couple of years when it comes down. But I have six storylines. I think we'll take the headlines for the Dolphins, whether it's the local papers, and probably not the national scope, because frankly, nobody really cares about the Dolphins on a national scope, especially not this year compared to other years where they really didn't care either, but especially not now with a team that is quote-unquote tanking in the 2019 season. But the first one here I think is obvious, and it goes like this. Will Miami finally trade down? I think that pretty much every team, every fan base, except for a select few every year, wants to trade out. And it takes two to tango, so it's not always easy to do. You go back to last year, Stephen Ross leaving the scouting room, the war room, because they wouldn't trade back and decided to overrule his desire to trade back to take Minka Fitzpatrick. We all know that worked out very well, just like it did in 2016, staying on the board for Laramie Tunzel. I know 2014, just about everybody wanted to trade back, especially after Jawan James was picked and classified as a reach. But you have to consider a few things here to make a trade back. Which player would have to survive to the first through the first 12 picks for the Dolphins to pass up an offer that would put extra picks in Chris Greer's pocket? Which team is it that wants to come up and make that trade with the Dolphins? And which player has to be there to entice said team to come up? Is it a quarterback? I think it probably has to be, or maybe a position where it could get weaker later on, like the offensive line, maybe like the cornerback group there as well. But you run through some scenarios, and every time you come back with the same idea, at least I do, that the best course of action is to find a trade back partner and do it for the first time since 2010 when the Dolphins traded back from 12 to 28 and got an additional second round draft pick in the process. So my prediction is that yes, they will move off that 13th pick this year's draft, which brings us into storyline number two. What is the plan beyond Ryan Fitzpatrick? And most years, the quarterbacks in that are in this year's class beyond Kyler Murray, talking, of course, about Daniel Jones, Drew Locke, Dwayne Haskins, I think most years those guys would fall back into round two, into day two. But because of the lack of quarterback supply that's available this year's draft, those guys get pushed up just like Christian Ponder, just like Blaine Gabbert, Jake Locker, EJ Manuel, and so many others in that same window. So the scouts have to see this, the Dolphins see this, we see this, and 2019 isn't as much about putting a winning product on the field, but more about repositioning the future of the team to be good for a sustained period of time. And that's why the Dolphins have to look at this draft class at quarterback and say, what do these guys do? Because even if you wind up with Dwayne Haskins, for instance, who by far, to me, is the best option the Dolphins would have beyond Kyler Murray, even if you get Dwayne Haskins, what is he going to do that pushes you off the idea of drafting a quarterback in the 2020 class? Do we really think that a 21-year-old Dwayne Haskins who has a lot of room to grow is going to show up and play well enough? Look at the quarterbacks last year. Besides Baker Mayfield, the rookies really weren't that good, and everybody thought Sam Darnold was the golden boy. He didn't play very well. He turned the ball over a million times last year. Is Dwayne Haskins going to be much better than that? If he's not, do you still go back and draft a quarterback this year? I just don't think drafting a quarterback anywhere in this draft really adds any value because I think that those three guys outside of Kyler Murray are the only ones that will actually get onto the field in their rookie years. Beyond that, what are you looking at? A Brett Rippon, a Tyree Jackson, a Jarrett Stidham, a Easton Stick, a guy that could develop as a backup quarterback, I think is probably your best bet because those 
the quarterback position is unique because other positions, multiple guys can play. You can have rotations. Several guys get onto the field and get snaps, but only one quarterback can play. So if you draft a guy that can't play, you're putting a draft pick on the bench and saying that draft pick will not play. Whereas I think this 2018 or 2019 draft class should be focused on guys that can get on the field and can contribute in a multitude of ways. And that's just not the quarterback. So for me, the best option is to just roll into camp with the quarterback position as it is. And any attempt to strengthen that portion of the roster, the quarterback portion of the roster, is a half measure simply by consequence of the circumstances. So my idea or the projected answer to this storyline is the plan lies in 2020 as the Dolphins pass entirely on the 2019 quarterback class with the possible exception in the search for a long-term backup quarterback on day three. And that leads us into storyline number three. Which wanting unit will Miami address on day two? I've been talking about this for months now, it seems. There are three positions I think the Dolphins need to address heavily. And they happen to be three positions that are very strong in this draft class. They are the offensive line, defensive line, and of course, at the safety position, we'll start on the offensive line because right now the Dolphins starting offensive line goes like this. Laramie Tunzel, a parking cone, Daniel Kilgore, Chris Reed, and Jesse Davis. They need at least two new bodies in that group. The defensive line rotation looks like this. You can give or take the order of this. Devon Godshaw, Vincent Taylor, Akeem Spence, defensive tackles inside. Charles Harris, Tank Carradine, and Jonathan Woodard. Reinforcements are needed badly, and especially when you consider that Rashad Jones and TJ McDonald are probably in the final year of their Dolphins' careers. That means we need another player to go alongside Mika Fitzpatrick, an interchangeable, rangy running mate, to make this defense truly flourish because the safeties in this defense drive everything the scheme wants to do. And luckily for the Dolphins, these three positions are packed, whether it's Chris Lindstrom, Eric McCoy, Elton Jenkins, Charles Amenahu, Chase Winovich, LJ Collier, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, Jonathan Abram, Juan Thornhill, Nasir Adderley, Darnell Savage. There are players all over that second to third round range the Dolphins can address at these positions of need and get best player available. I think what happens because the Dolphins, if they want to adopt that Patriots mentality on defense, the pass rush comes from the scheme. Defensive edge players are maybe not as highly valued as other positions. So I think the Dolphins, who want to build a strong running game and get quality protection for the future phase of the franchise at quarterback in 2020, will prioritize the offensive line and grab one of those safeties and defensive line if they can get extra picks. That'll be the third list or third option on the pecking order list there for the Dolphins in this portion of the draft. We have a couple more headlines in this article I talked about. Will any veterans be traded? I talked about Rashad Jones and TJ McDonald as possibly being on their last year in Miami. Because if the Dolphins can trade Jones or McDonald in this year's draft class and have to eat some of the money like they have done with Tannehill and Robert Quinn, I don't see why they wouldn't do it as these guys are not part of the long-term future. Kenny Stills also in that mix. I think those are the three names to look for as possible draft day trades. My projected answer is that Rashad Jones does get dealt for a day three pick and the Dolphins take on some of that salary for maybe a future draft pick in 2020. That's the projection there. And then the next headline here is how much 2020 draft capital will Miami acquire? I talked about the Rashad Jones trade. Moving back in the draft class could bring back a future second round pick because really the Dolphins are stocked in rounds three through seven next year. But to really be able to make some headway and go up the draft board in the first round, 
They need another second round draft pick if they want to make that happen. So I think that could be a focus of this year's class, trying to net an early 2020 draft pick in rounds one through three. And then lastly, and I think this one is pretty much a given, how busy will Miami be on Saturday's post-draft undrafted free agent feeding frenzy? Because even after the AAF pillaging, Miami are still 23 players short of the 90 you're allowed to bring to training camp. And so that means even if the Dolphins pick up, let's say three more draft picks this year by trading back, which is very ambitious, they'll still be 13 players short of the 90 allowed. That means tons of UDFAs coming in the door. The Patriots, if we're going to use their model once again, have had a UDFA make the team for 15 straight years. I'm sure that streak continues into Miami going forward with multiple UDFAs landing on the roster. The Dolphins are going to be very, very busy on that Saturday after the draft. And we'll have you guys covered on all that stuff as well here on the post-draft Locked on Dolphins edition podcast over the weekend as Thursday night. I'll have a podcast out for you guys recapping round one and previewing day two of the draft. Friday night, we'll have another podcast that recaps day two and previews day three. And on Saturday, we'll have another podcast that recaps the entire draft, takes a look at the Dolphins roster as a whole, and gets you up to date on all the UDFA signings. That is coming up here very soon. Also coming up next on the podcast, we're going to look at the prospect of the day here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast at Wingfield NFL at Locked On Fins. I was thinking about having my Hall of Fame gold jacket segment on this edition of the podcast, but we just ran out of time with the depth of the last article talking about the piece up on LockedOnDolphins.com. And again, tomorrow we'll have Kevin Dern's piece up there as well for you guys on LOD.com. And the Hall of Fame segment was looking at players over the last several drafts that have gotten themselves gold jacket or probably will get themselves gold jacket mention at some point in their careers. It's pretty fascinating to see where those players were drafted because they're scattered pretty much throughout the draft, which gives you some hope if you're a team like Miami, who right now is frankly lacking the blue chip level prospects or talent to make the case for future Hall of Fame consideration. Hell, I was watching a video on, I think it was Facebook yesterday, looking at Ricky Williams' highlights from that 2002 season. And really, he's the last offensive player the Dolphins have had at the skill positions that was regarded as the top one or two players at his position. It's been a very long time since this team has had offensive firepower to really be proud about and to really brag to the rest of the league about. But we'll talk about that more on a future podcast. Now, I want to jump into our prospect of the day, And he's not one of my favorite players in this class, but I have been asked about him quite a bit on Twitter because people are fans of the University of Miami. I understand that. And you guys should be proud of the amount of players you guys put into the NFL every single year. Hell, it's become very obvious that I'm very proud of the Washington State Cougars that get themselves in position to get into the NFL. So I definitely understand the the thought process there. And we go ahead and jump into today's prospect of the day. He is Jaquan Johnson, the Miami Hurricane safety. Last year, he was pro football focus's highest rated safety in the ACC, even higher than Juan Thornhill. The ball production is there, although I can, I'm concerned about the, the consistency or the, 
the repeatability of the ball production because he does have eight career interceptions, but only seven pass breakups, which is really a very strange ratio, almost one-to-one. Typically, the PBUs are two or three times higher than the picks getting their hands on the football. To me, that says that maybe he was around some lucky bounces and tips and caught some picks that way. And you go back to his 2017 tape, and that was the case a couple of times. Even still, he's around the football all the time. The leadership is evident as he was the one that was always addressing the defense and sometimes the team pregame. He was dubbed the leader of the incredible 2017 turnover chain run that basically captivated the entire country for most of the season until things came undone there at the end. So he was the ringleader there. The book on him as far as knocking the player, is limited range and athletic ability, which to me is always going to be a concern at the safety position, especially when the Dolphins need a guy who can go sideline to sideline on the back end and track the football. The strength of his game is the ability to reroute up front and play a physical brand of football, something that will definitely have a place in Miami. But he is probably better based in a zone-based coverage like quarters where he can read and jump routes because of his high-level processing and football acumen for the game. That part matches up with what the Dolphins want to do. The lack of man cover skills does not because I've talked about it a million times. Safeties in this defense have to be able to come down and cover man up unless you're going to be the third safety and that guy has to be a rangy deep center field safety like Deron Harmon is for the Patriots. And for that reason, I just don't think he's a fit for the Dolphins. But again, a lot of people have asked me to talk about him on the podcast. So here we are, Jaquan Johnson. I think he'll have a fine career somewhere. I just don't think it happens with the Dolphins. And with that, let's go ahead and close things up here. We're going to get back on tomorrow's podcast with Kevin Dern. Going to record that podcast right now. You guys will not want to miss that one. We have plenty of written content coming for you this week on LockedOnDolphins.com. We'll have a show every single day from now until forever, Monday through Friday, your daily source, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football. And with that, that is a wrap. If you guys have a smart speaker or Bluetooth capability in your car, just say play Locked On Dolphins podcast and pull up the best Dolphins podcast on the internet right away. Also, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on the new Himalaya podcast app. Leave us a rating, leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at NFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins. Keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your night. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for another edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football. To the sound of a heartbeat pounding away.